Welcome to the PE Huddle. It's sponsored and supported by Gopher, as you know, the leader in quality physical education, athletics, and fitness equipment. Just so you know, if you'd like a copy of the Gopher catalog, request it at gophersport.com catalog. There's also a digital catalog that some of you may enjoy more, and you can catch that at gophersport.com digital. As you know, the Gopher team strives to connect with teachers in health and physical education. By now, many of you have seen the DPE ASAP website that includes instructional materials for all grades PK through 12. There are lesson plans, how to teach videos, instructional signs, and formative assessments online at dynamicpeasap.com pages. Shortly after this webinar, Gopher's gonna upload the recording to their professional development website. And you can access that at pd.gophersport.com. At that site, you can also view over 100 plus hours of recorded webinars, including past episodes of the PE Hub. If you register on the website, you can get certificates for continuing education. These certificates are customized, have your name and date on them, and can be submitted to your district. So swing by pd.gophersport.com and check it out. Many of you have submitted questions over the past huddles. And, you know, I've tried to answer one or two on the huddle, but uh, it really hasn't been conducive. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go out on a limb and see how many questions I can answer and what I can give you feedback. So I went through all the questions uh, you submitted um, and tried to screen out many of those. Um, because many of the questions were similar, I grouped the questions by uh, so here are the major areas of content. Uh, Michael, I'm Michael, I'm hearing you and getting a lot of feedback. Um, here are the major areas of content: management and discipline, dress codes and participation, questions related to how teachers are treated, curriculum activities and instruction, scheduling and facilities. And if you hear a few things there. A little different, uh, Michael and I, as you know, Michael Ewan produces this, and, and we've got a lot of things we're trying to do different, uh, so don't be alarmed. We'll get them all worked out, but before I answer, let me give you a few ground rules um, um, and, and just talk about the complexity of what you're asking. Now, when you ask questions, uh, you think there's one answer for you, but when I answer them, you know, I'm talking to thousands of teachers, there are thousands of school districts, there are thousands of superintendents and administrators, so it's, it's terribly complex out there, and there are no simple answers to questions, as you well know, and they have a wide range of perspectives and political settings. Um, so I would ask you to try to think critically. Don't expect answers that'll solve your issues right there. In fact, I may give you strategy, I may give you answers, but you ultimately have to solve the problem. Um, I always say, you know, if you're out looking for an easy answer, look inside you. 
the real answer is inside you. And then consider different perspectives. You know, understand that there are conflicting views. And, you know, a, a superintendent has pressures on them from different places than a principal does. And a principal has a lot of pressures on them from places that you don't. So, you know, we're all going to see things slightly differently. Uh, but I still want you to question things and question what is, question everything and seek, try to seek some best fit answers. But above all, you know, be respectful and open-minded about the process because it is complex. So with that, I'll try to be as straightforward uh, as I possibly can and not dance around some of these. Um, just let me say that there were probably uh, 400 questions, and I must say that probably 70% of them were de dealt with discipline and unmotivated students. So if you're wondering why I'm spending more time on that area, that's because that's where most of the questions came from. So let me start with this one. What are some strategies for helping to reset expectations for behavior? if these weren't properly set or managed at the beginning of the year? And you know, that's a great question. It, it's October break. It's a, for many of you, it is a perfect time to reset. Absolutely a great time to reset. And you know, what kinds of things do you do when you reset? Well, the very first thing you do is you come into your class when you get back and say, you know, I haven't been happy with how I've done things. Uh, I, I, and by the way, my first year of teaching, I did this. I was teaching uh, fifth grade. And, you know, I just didn't have things where I wanted them. I came back after October break, and basically, this is what I said you know what, fifth grade, I'm unhappy with the way I've been teaching, and we're going to do things differently. I'm going to have a different set of rules and a different set of strategies. And you'll get used to them, and I'll get used to them, but we're not going to continue doing things the same way. So what kinds of things can you change? Well, number one is clear expectations. Those things have to be laid out ahead of time. That's why you have rules, because you can have your expectations grow out of your rules. Those are, in fact, the clearest designation of your values and expectations are your rules. So lay out your expectations and your rules for kids and say, you know, these rules are for everybody. Nobody's special in here. You're all special and we're all going to work hard to follow them. I'm not angry with anybody. I don't have a problem with anybody. We just haven't been doing as well as we can as a class and we're going to do better. Then you got to be positive. You can't be picking out all the negative things and constantly bickering with your class about the negative things. You have to start to look for the behaviors you want and reinforce them. There have to be consequences. And so you have to let them know what the consequences are. By the way, I always say no consequences, no change in behavior. Every time you ignore behavior and look away and there are no consequences, you've just condoned that behavior. You've just said that behavior is okay. And so there have to be consequences or behavior doesn't change. Kids have to like what you're teaching. The lessons have to be engaging. And if they aren't, 
then no wonder kids are going off task. No wonder kids are saying they don't want to participate. So it's important that you have engaging lessons. Uh, you, you, you just can't say, as I've heard some teachers say at times, I don't care whether they like me or not or like the lesson or not. If I'm teaching it right, they just have to do it and that's all that really matters. Well, that's not all that really matters. They have to have a, some feeling for you because the reason they respond to you is out of respect for you. And you have to have that. Um, and then you, you have to have efficient classroom management techniques. I mean, sometimes you let you tell kids to find a partner and it's mayhem because you didn't do it the right way. So I'll say it once again, the answer for refocusing and resetting expectation lies within you having strong expectations, stating those expectations, reinforcing them, and then consistently having consequences for those students who don't follow. Um, Almost always, uh, unmotivated students come out of a teacher who's not all that motivated, I might add. What are some things, next question, what are some things we can do with a student that who just doesn't want to follow directions? Well, you know, I've somewhat answered that, but again, um, the directions have to be clear. If they don't understand, then one of the things we know about giving directions to a class is this. Usually when you give directions, particularly if you're concise, four or five students will understand the directions and the rest of the class maybe weren't paying attention, were thinking about something else. Um, and so when you say go and they head out to do the thing, a whole lot of kids, if they didn't understand it, they're going to be asking someone else, what were we supposed to do? What were we supposed to do? So that's poor management. You want to move your kids toe-to-toe -to -toe with a partner, get in small groups uh, uh, with whistle mixer, uh, you know, jog into a circle, do all these kinds of things with management that we can do to get them involved so they don't feel like they're out of sync. Once you don't understand something, and that's the problem with long directions that I'll talk about later, but once they don't understand something, then they go off task. They've had enough, I'm lost, I don't get it, I don't like it. So you are going to have to work with this student. Now, if you can't get them through doing those things, then you're going to have to look at unique needs. You're going to have to have one-on-one -on -one discussions with that youngster. Um, you're going to have to go to the parents. But I always say you go to the parents if, and, and that's a big if, if they uh, uh, understand each other um, and are helpful. I, I was looking at a question that came in, so I started there. But, but one of the things you have to do is, is get them in there quickly and they have to understand. Um, and, but going back to parents, um, not all parents will help you. And so you have to know before you decide to go to parents that they will help you. There's nothing worse than talking to the parents about something and then finding out that they say, well, I've done everything I can. There's nothing more I can do. It's your, you're the teacher. You do what needs to be done. What would be the point of talking to a parent about that? So then you go to counselors. Uh, if you have to go to the administration, 
Um, and remember the administration is always your last hurrah because once you start going to them, they'll think you can't manage your kids. Um, you know, question that did come up while I was talking about it, how do you get students to partner up quickly? Well, we don't do toe-to-toe, -to -toe. we do all management on the move. So I say jog around the area or skip around the area or, or walk briskly around the area, whatever it is I want to do to get them moving. And then I freeze them and I say, get toe-to-toe -to -toe with a partner. Now I have a few guidelines with that, so I'm not going to get into this too deeply. What I have guidelines about partnering up, and that is you have to take the person nearest you. You can't run across the gym looking for a buddy. So you take the person closest to you. If you don't have somebody right by you, you run to the friendship spot, you find somebody there, and then we get started. If I look out and I see that you found your buddies and you're not mixed up the way I want because there are certain kids I just don't want together, then I just have you jog again. And I mix you and say you can't get the same partner. By the way, in classes when I'm doing partners, you can't get the same partner twice. Because one of the things that is so important to me is that every kid is of equal worth. And if you, the prejudice always starts when you start thinking about whether I want to take that partner or I don't want to take that partner. That's the start of prejudice. There's something when you think I don't want that person for a partner, that's the start of prejudice. There's something there that you're making a judgment about. And if we value all people and they're all of equal worth on our team, then we have to learn to take whomever is near them. I'm not asking them to do anything other than find a partner. So it's very important that you learn to partner them up quickly. And the, the, one of the worst things in the world to say is find a partner. Oh my gosh, that's, that's, you might as well tell them, let's have some mayhem in class uh, because it's the same thing. Um, what can I do to minimize, another question, what can I do to minimize outbursts from aggressive students? Well, if a student is truly aggressive toward you, then you need help. Uh, safety first, okay? Um, you above all have to stay calm. If they're aggressive towards another student, don't get aggressive towards the kid and, and, and escalate it, uh, stay calm, try to de-escalate it, you give that student their space, usually they'll back away from everything and say, leave me alone or whatever, and scream out. And, and if they're fighting, um, if they're aggressive in fighting, you know, I have a tendency to yell out as loud as I can, stop that. Um, so do I shock them uh, because I want it to stop immediately. Um, and I'll work from that point with a calm voice and say, you know, you have the choice to go to that corner or this corner, but let's move. And I, I then try to uh, call in for help if I need it, okay? I mean, if they're really aggressive and you're having a problem and then they're even coming uh, towards you and being aggressive toward you, then at that point, it's pretty important that you get involved and get some help. That's why I think, you know, everybody has a way to immediately call help from the office because you need another adult at that point. Um, and if you don't have that, then you send a couple students to the office. But look, in this day and age, everybody has a phone. Every, you need to know before you start the year, who do I contact? How do I contact them? And if I need immediate help, where do I go? Because you're gonna also need immediate help if a student gets injured in your class. And we are a class 
where kids can get injured because we're highly active. So make sure you have that conduit to the office open and can use it at any time. It's huge. Here's another question about punitive measures. Do punitive measures work to change student behavior such as non-participation, lack of effort, etc.? Well, let me start by saying punitive measures do work short term. Um, in fact, the most common one that we do is we yell across the room to stop that. And what we're trying to do is shout the kid down, embarrass them in front of their peers. It's punitive. It puts them down. It calls them out in front of everybody, embarrasses them. And that's why you're doing it. You're hoping it works and stops that. Yeah, it probably will. And, and the sad part of all that is then it reinforces you to use that behavior more because it did work. But here's the problem. It takes that overt behavior and it pushes it covert. So the teacher, so the youngster wants to do things behind the scene. And so punitive measures are for short-term things. And you might say, well, what is, you know, I don't use punitive measures. Well, do you yell across the gym? Do you embarrass students sometimes? Do you, are you sarcastic with them and put them down and say, well, you know, just being a baby, you can do that. Um, I, you know, it, those are punitive measures. Those are bullying measures. And, and yes, they will work sometimes, but they create, first of all, the class thinks you're unfair as a whole when you use punitive measures. But even worse, the behavior becomes covert and they do it behind your back. Um, so what kind of, what alternatives do you have to punitive measures? Well, again, clear expectations. You know, one of the things, it's kind of interesting about teachers. Teachers, oftentimes I watch them and they'll give two to three minutes of directions. They'll talk, 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 and the kids aren't listening and they forgot everything you said and they go on and on and on. And then when they get them in the game, they stand there, the teacher stands there and watches them and doesn't talk at all, which is when you should be delivering all kinds of feedback and, and talking to them and reinforcing and talking about their performance and going on and on and on, you know, and we don't talk about the right things. And to really change behavior, you really only have one thing to get it done. And that's talking and that's explaining. And that's showing justice through your talking and fairness through your talking. That's the only thing you have. If we know punitive measures don't work in the long run, you can't take a kid and pull his ear off. You can't push him around. You can't, you know, yell and scream at him in front of the whole class. You can't do any of those things. So what tool do you have to use other than talking? And Surprisingly, teachers are very willing to talk about instructions for a game and very and strategy for a game and very unwilling to talk about changing behavior and treating other people well. And you know, I would say to you in the long haul, whether you learn a game or whether you learn how to get along with other people, um, that's easy for me to pick which one of those is most important. So talk about the right thing and spend a lot more time talking about it 
The problem is you get tired of talking about it, but you can't get tired of talking about it. That is our job as a teacher, to talk and talk and talk. Uh, another question. Just like to hear how to combat cell phones. I just can't compete with social media. Well, of course not. If you give them their phones, of course, they're going to look at them. One of the most elegant things I've seen about people and their cell phones and, and what to do with them, you know, you, you can tell students to lock them in their locker and then somebody goes in the locker room and breaks open the locker and steals the phone. And all you have to do is have one or two times to have that happen. And now you've got mayhem and students aren't going to go for that at all. And parents are going to be angry. This teacher uses pedometers and Gopher makes, and I'm sure other people do, but Gopher makes a great pocket holder for pedometers. And it's got clear pockets on them with numbers. And so the person using pedometer number one is finds their pedometer in pocket one. Well, this teacher has them go over, take out pedometer number one, and put their telephone in the pocket in place of the pedometer. Now, guess what? You've got all the phones right there on the equipment basket, uh, equipment cart, and kids can see that their phones are safe, that nobody's bothering their phone, nobody's going over to them, and they're all there. You can't have phones in their hands and, and teach. Of course you it would drive you nuts. And, and here again, that's you deciding what your expectations are and have a place for them. You've got to have a place for those phones. Man, those pockets don't cost much and I would use them, I, I use them for pedometers all the time, but that idea of using them for the phones is just uh, elegant. I mean, it, it works great and the kids are happy with it. All right, let's talk, let, let's get a little bit off of management and discipline, talk a little bit about instructional queries. Uh, you asked about instruction and this first question kind of relates to what I was saying about talk, 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 talk. How do I shorten the time I take to explain new games and activities without compromising important rules? Look, there are no important rules until you learn the game. There just aren't. You have to learn the game first before there are important rules. I wouldn't even talk about rules early on. I don't believe in talking longer than 30 seconds to any group, including my college students. My college students can't stay with me. You know, we're talking today about short attention spans and the phone right there and little tweets and and messages that, you know, are 20 words and, you know, going back and forth like that. They, these kids have grown up in short with short attention spans, but I don't mind that. Because I think if you'll talk 30 seconds to get the game started, get them out there. And by the way, before that, let me just say this first. Get them in the, in the formation you want before you explain the rules. There is nothing more foolish than saying, okay, today we're gonna learn a new game. Everybody sit down, let me explain it to you. Okay, now you go on for three minutes and they're bored. They're thinking about a new game or what they're gonna do when they get out of class, et cetera. I guarantee you after 30 seconds, they're gone. They've forgotten. And then you say something like, 
okay, we need to get into formation. I, I need you in groups of four. And you say something dumb like, let's count off by fours, which counting off is dumb because kids change their numbers all the time so they can be with whoever they want and screw up the system. But that's all right. We're not going down that rule. That's management and discipline. Uh, one of these days, you'll see one of my videos on how not to do that. But, um, you know, here, here they are trying to get information and they're thinking about fi finding friends if you didn't do it right and if you didn't use whistle mixer to get them into small groups and they're going all around there. Now, they don't remember one thing from five minutes ago because they've been two minutes out there trying to find a partner. Get them into partners quickly if that's what you want. Get them into small groups quickly if that's what you want. If you want them at stations, get them into groups and then put them at stations and then explain what it is you want to do. And explain it for 30 seconds and then try it. And then say freeze. The beauty of that, and I, I say it makes you look like a genius. You, you let them try it after 30 seconds of instruction and you can see everything they didn't understand. And you now you say, well, I can see a couple things you didn't quite get. Maybe I didn't explain them well. Here's the next thing we're going to put add on to this new game. And so you go ahead and you do another 30 seconds and then you go out and try that. Um, you may not even play the game the first day. So why would we spend all kinds of time talking about these important rules you talk about? And by the way, the fact that you call them important rules says to me they're important. I try to eliminate as many rules as I can because they take away from the game. Because when a ball goes out of bounds, now the game's down for 10, 15 seconds while we, while we decide who hit it out, et cetera. And if we have all these fouls and all these different things when we're learning a game, it just takes time. I want movement. I want activity. So hope that helps you understand a little bit about getting things started. 30 seconds, go try it. 30 seconds, try it some more and gradually build it up. We teach everything else in steps. Do the same thing with the activities you're teaching. Next question. Students seem to like certain units better than others. Well, that's a newbie. I, in fact, I think adults like certain things better than others. So that's no surprise. So you can't be, you can't be surprised that, certain, that students like certain units better than others. So let's all agree, yeah, that's gonna happen. So how can I keep those students motivated when the unit at hand is not their favorite? Well, First of all, be reasonable and have a good expectation that, yeah, you know what? They, they're not gonna like this. This is a new unit and these kids who love basketball because they're good at it, they're, they're, not, they're not gonna say, well, we just wanna play basketball or we just wanna play soccer, depending on where you live. Part of that when you introduce a new one is their fear of failure. And they're worried they're not gonna be good at it. You know. It's interesting, the people that are really good at something and act like they're really cool, put them in a place where they're not very good and they're very insecure, often more insecure than the other kids. So it's good to have them learn to overcome their fears. But when you transition, keep the activity short. How about this? Let's say you're coming off a unit that some of these kids really liked. 
Well, then come in and teach the new unit maybe for five, 10 minutes, and then bring in the old one for five minutes, and then go back to the other one for five or 10 minutes, and then maybe finish with five minutes on the good one. You'd leave them with a good taste in their mouth. And in other words, when you transition into things, it's not nearly as hard because there's some good with the not so good. And, and you, you know, we call that the pre-MAC principle. It, you know, if we do A, then we got time, we'll do a little B. In this case, A is the new activity, B is basketball. And so we can rotate these back and forth. And remember, for all those kids who say they just want to play basketball, there's a whole lot of kids out there saying, I hate basketball. And we have a right to teach things that make all kids enjoy the activity. And small wonder, let me ask you a question. The kids who sit out or don't want to participate, are they the kids who are really gifted at a lot of things in your class? No, you know that's not the case. They don't feel confident. So, you know, another thing that sometimes works, by the way, if you're teaching a new activity is, is to pair them up with someone who's pretty good at the new activity. And sometimes that will help. But I think if you transition and give them a little A and B and, and then accept their, their concern that, well, I really like this more than that. Okay, I, I get that, you know, but there are lots of people in here and we all have different likes and dislikes. Question uh, is, do you feel PE is trending away from being sports-based and leaning more towards movement-based? Well, do you think America is moving away from sports? Our kids are a reflection of what their parents love. And I think the answer is no, I don't think we're trending away from sports. With gambling now, there's more people interested in sports than ever, not because they want to play them, but because they want to gamble on them. But they're still interested in sports. And so I don't think we're trending away from sports. If you're asking me, should there be more than sports in a PE program? I have a resounding yes for you, absolutely, without question. But if we're trending away, you know, I, I, I can remember a number of years ago, there were people when movement education came on board, and that would be before most of your time, but it would be in the 60s and early 70s. And, you know, they wanted to throw out sports and fitness and all that. Um, you know, there was a huge backlash to that because in our society and today with the Olympics and everything else, it, you know, it, it'd be foolish to think we're not going to have sports and to throw sports completely out of your PE program is sure to alienate not only some kids, but some parents. How do you balance the idea of keeping kids engaged in MVPA while still correct, teaching correct form, complex concepts and health? Well, that's a mouthful because you're teaching a lot of things there. You're, you know, you're going from correct form to complex concepts, uh, which I assume you mean strategy, et cetera, and then health. Well, uh, so let me, let me just say a couple things about keeping kids engaged in MVPA. You know, sometimes experts come down with things that sound really great in theory, but aren't so cool. And there's a couple of things that have often bothered me. One is that kids need to get 60 minutes of MVPA. By the way, if you're not aware, MVPA is moderate to vigorous physical activity. 
it, it's more it, it's a fast walk it's a jog it's bicycling it's uh, you know playing basketball things like that um and you know they came down with the idea that kids have to get 60 minutes of mvpa every day well for many places and many teachers and the fact that we only see kids sometimes once or twice a week there's no way and by the way pe isn't going to deliver mvpa because you have to teach and you have kids sitting around and you have kids while you're talking and you have kids learning skills and that sort of thing. So I wouldn't worry too much about that. I think sometimes what teachers respond to is uh, it was very common when a couple of our professional organizations came out and said, you know, uh, there should be 50% instruction and 50% activity. Well, first of all, it, you know, that may work for some lessons. That doesn't work at all for other lessons. And I hate rules that tend to be cut and dried, this is the way it is. And if you come out with 60% of inactivity and 40% of activity in that lesson, that it wasn't any good. And if you come out with 80% of activity and 20%, it wasn't any good. It has to do with the content of the lesson. So don't get too wrapped up in all that. Um, on, I, I would say this, I want your kids to be in activity more than they're listening to you talk they come to the gym and they need activity. And so I for sure want them to be active, but I'm not gonna worry about what percentage you got and I'm not gonna worry about what percentage was MVPA. Um, but you know, keep your, your instructional episodes down to 30 seconds and uh, you only learn correct form by practice and being engaged. So you know, you can talk to them about the form of throwing or catching or whatever, uh, you know, I can tell you exactly how to do a correct tennis serve. If you never try it once, I guarantee you're not any good at it. So it, it, you have to have practice and do it over. And and if you choose one over the over the other, well, obviously practice is is extremely important. Now, if you're going to teach complex concepts, and I'm not quite sure what you meant by that, but, but or health. To me, those are classroom subjects. And I, I wouldn't want to teach those unless I have a classroom. Because if you're going into something that's pencil and paper and lecture and talk and experiments and that sort of thing, that needs to be in a classroom. And sitting kids on the floor in a very uncomfortable setting, the floor is cold and they're cold and they're uncomfortable, it, it's uh, the, cost benefit is not worth it you don't get enough benefit out of that so uh, i certainly would be sure and ask that i get uh, a classroom what should the length of units be in elementary middle and high school well i sometimes run contrary to a lot of people in this um, but I've never changed my thinking on it because I've had experience teaching at all of those levels. And, uh, you know, I've, I've worked with them uh, on curriculum at all levels. The units in elementary have to be short. Primary grades, very short. One week, move on to something else. The greatest motivator of kids at all levels, by the way, same with adults, is novelty. 
you adults out there are all looking for novelty. You want something new, something exciting. I'm bored. You know, my life is boring. I want something exciting. I want some novelty, something different. Now, I can't tell you where you go search for novelty, but you probably know. Kids the same way. They want novelty. And so changing the units and changing the focus with equipment is, is terribly important with primary grades. With intermediate grades, I'm, I'm okay with a two-week unit. Uh, if I there's plenty there to teach and I want to teach it, I'm okay with that. Um, and the nice thing about intermediate grade kids is they can start to learn to polish off some of the skills. Now, when they go to middle school, you all know the growth spurt kicks in. So that funny little body they had in elementary school with a big head, short arms, short legs, now changes perspective. And all the skills they had learned quite well, they have to relearn in middle school. Uh, in fact, that's sometimes why I get a little aggravated when middle school teachers say, boy, they didn't teach these kids anything in, in elementary school. Well, first of all, the elementary teachers probably didn't have them more than once or twice a week. And secondly, middle school kids have a brand new body and have to relearn all their skills. So once again, I want short units. Middle school kids are so diverse in maturity. You have some who are as immature as fifth graders and some who are as mature as juniors in high school. There's a six year difference in maturity. Well, of course the kids who are highly mature are gonna do better. And, and if you only have a few sports-oriented activities, then those kids are going to excel and all these immature kids are gonna get pushed around and not like it. So I want short units. I don't want them to go on very long so that a middle schooler doesn't have to suffer in a long, a long unit that they don't like. Now, when we get to high school, particularly with upperclassmen, uh, because a lot of schools have a freshman class where it's kind of a mandatory fitness class. Sometimes it's a fitness for life class. Um, that, that's one thing. But beyond that, then I think the unit should be long. I think high school kids should have the chance to learn an activity in depth. You know, it, we're great it was high school kids with giving them short units, you know, four to six weeks, three to six weeks, and we make them jacks of all trades and masters of none. And if you're a master of nothing, you're never going to go out and do that activity for the rest of your life. I want you to leave school knowing how to play tennis, knowing how to play golf, being a great bicycler, knowing how to hike, whatever it is. I want you to know it and know it in depth and love it. And most of us um, exercise with things that we just love. I have heard many people say, you know, I really enjoy working on this hobby that I hate. Um, I really like exercising in something I dislike. It just doesn't happen. Um, so I, would, I want long units uh, and not much variety for high school kids. Next question. As a new teacher, I'm told I need to follow a curriculum. What do I do? Well, first of all, I can't think of anything worse than telling a new teacher on the job, develop a curriculum. 
In fact, you know, I used to get crosswise with some of my peers at the university when they would spend a semester uh, teaching undergrad students how to write a curriculum. They don't have a clue how to write a curriculum. They've never taught. They have no experience. They don't even know how to handle kids. Um, and so as a new teacher, what would I tell them? Well, I'd say if you don't have a curriculum, then go talk to another teacher who has one. Um, find an existing curriculum like ASAP. Uh, find what equipment you have. Adapt that to your equipment. Um, try some new units, but write them down at the end of the day so you start to develop as you go. You're probably going to develop as you go. But if you don't write it down and if you don't have keep track of what you're doing, then next year you're going to be in the same place and not have any idea where you're going. Um, but it's the worst thing in the world to tell a new teacher, and new teachers should never be expected to follow a curriculum, to write a curriculum um, of their own. Now, to follow one, yes, a new teacher, if there's one in place, should follow a curriculum. And they should probably follow it for five to seven years. They say we don't really master our subject matter uh, until about the fifth of the seventh year, and we don't really learn how to handle students till about the seventh year. So what that really means is, sure, follow a curriculum, and hopefully the school you go to has one, and that's your first question. What is a curriculum here? Then you can start to modify a curriculum, change it, you know, personalize it to your needs, etc. All right, then there were questions about scheduling issues. How many times per week do you believe students should have PE and for how long? Well, obviously, I think they should have it every day. Um, you know, you're, you're asking a very biased observer on that one. I think they should have PE at all levels every day. I can't imagine going to school, sitting around in school all day and not having a chance to participate in some activity and you know, recess isn't for all kids. Only about 40% of the kids are active during recess, unless you have an active and healthy recess plan. So you know, you put kids out and they don't. I I, I think they all should have. Now, my own feeling is for K through five, K through six, somewhere in there, 30 minute period is plenty. I know that kindergarten through third grade kids are tired at the end of 30 minutes. Fifth, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, if you want to have 40-minute periods, fine. That's that's no big deal to me. I'm not going to get worked up over that. Um, and, and then, you know, scheduling can be different, but middle school, you, you probably, depending on whether you change and go do all those other sorts of things and what your duties are before you get class started, uh, you know, those are probably 40 to 60 minutes unless you have you know, different uh, length periods. So PE as much as you can get it. By the way, I'll just say on that note, you got to ask for it year after year after year. I'm a year after year after year guy. I say you just keep bugging. You just keep bugging and bugging and bugging and you know when to bug. There is no use bugging after the schedule has been made. There's never anything changed after the schedule has been put in place. You only get minor changes, I guarantee you. 
that administrators are loath to change that schedule. And if they could, they'd keep the same schedule year after year after year. And so would the teachers who think they have the best schedule, but the ones who think they have a lousy schedule would want to change it. So, you know, there are times to complain and times to get after it. But if you don't speak up, uh, nothing's ever going to change, I guarantee you. Um, there are problems out there, and if you don't face up to them, they're never going to change. Another question, how can I maximize the learning experiences of my students when I only see them once per week for 45 minutes? Well, you do the best you can. You, were, you will spend more time on management, but you'll play management games so that you can make it enjoyable and they learn to meet a lot of different people and find friends and get to know each other in that class. Um, I've often found when those periods are long, they're also large class sizes, um, which large class sizes mean it's going to be mostly management, which is a shame, but at least you can do all your management on the move. Management is done on the move, not standing around. So you can have a little fun mixing and matching and getting kids to know each other. But it's not a great situation. And when you see your kids once every six days or something, you know, that's not PE. And you don't, here's the sad part. Not only do the kids not really get to know you as a teacher, but the worst part is you don't really get to know the kids because you may have 600 kids a week coming to you. No way you're gonna remember all those names if you only see them once a week. Twice a week, yeah, you can get to know their names. Once a week, I doubt it. Another set of questions was on dress codes and participation. Um, this question, PE dress code. How important is it for grading and participation at the middle school level? Well, I'm not even sure dressing out is important. So, um, I, I, you know, for me, um, I don't care whether they dress out. Um, for you, you may care, all right? And if you care, then that's fine. I'm okay with it. I'm not, I'm not getting into that one. There are some issues that I don't absolutely don't approach anymore. And dress codes is one. Grading is another. So you just hit me with two of them here because there's so many ways to grade. If I tell somebody and they ask me how I grade in PE and I say, well, most of it's on participation and attitude, um, you know, they look at me funny um, because they're maybe academic teachers and they say, well, you know, do you mean in math class, I just grade on how they dress and, and their attitude? And, you know, the answer obviously is no. Um, but I'll leave that up to you. I'm not going to dig into that other than say that, you know, dress codes aren't all that important to me if you're wearing something to PE that it is comfortable, that you can participate in, and it's safe. If it's not, then you can't participate in class, and then you're going to get a non-participation grade. What are your best options for students who do not wear athletic clothing or shoes for PE class? Well, I always collected athletic clothing and shoes. And then I washed them all up at the end of the year and I had a huge tub, in fact, two tubs of shoes and PE clothes. And so if they didn't have it, I told them, well, you can go in and 
put on some shoes there and come on out and participate. And if you don't, then you get a non-participation grade. Um, you know, you have to do that for safety. Another question along the same line, how do I keep those students who constantly want to sit out engaged in participation? Well, we've answered that somewhat. It's got to be an engaging place to go. But do you let students sit out without penalty occasionally? Yeah, you know, in fact, what I did, and I did it with my college students as well, um, but I did it with my middle school and, and uh, high school students as well. I gave them three days where if they came to school, they didn't feel good, they were having a bad day, they just were tired and down. I said, fine, I'll give you three days and let's see if you can spend them responsibly. Most students did. Some of them, you know, they just couldn't. They took them all three at the same time and used them up. And then when it came time for more, they didn't have any more. So, you know, that's part of learning to be responsible. But sure, I think there are times when all of us don't feel like exercising. I'm okay with that. I'm not going to let it happen very often, but I'll give them a few to let them show that, yeah, I'll bend your way some. Do students have, you know, this question just amazes me that it would be asked. And if you asked it and I'm talking to you, don't be embarrassed. But do students have to participate to pass physical education class? Well, of course. I mean, I, do I even have to go into that one? I mean, how else could you pass a physical education class if you don't participate? Non-participation is unacceptable. It's just unacceptable and you're going to have to participate if you want to pass it. This one is a pet peeve of mine, this next one. Many of my least active students are athletes. They don't want to participate because of a game later in the day. How would you handle that? Say, I don't want to hear it. Participate. And if your coach told you you don't have to participate, you tell your coach, come and tell me that face-to-face. -face. I'm not having it. Not having it at all. Um, and, you know, once I say I'm not having it, have your coach come talk to me, then you can do that. But they're uh, unbelievable that a young kid is going to have a game later in the day and they can't go through my PE class. Uh, that just doesn't pack it for me. Next question about teachers. How can physical education teachers increase the understanding of the importance of PE in the overall curriculum? of students by administrators. The best way to sell PE is through a quality program. Now, I, everything else is secondary. Having a great program is first. Then, if you have a great program, quality program, and it's obvious that kids love participating in your program, being a part of your program, then you need to bring parents in to see it and ask for their support. And you need to bring administrators in, and all administrators, superintendents, everybody, invite them in, share your lessons with them, what you're going to do for the day. Go talk to classroom teachers. By the way, believe it or not, you really need the support of classroom teachers, because particularly in elementary schools, but even in middle schools and high schools, there's only a few of you and many, many of them in the classroom, so they'll make decisions that are you know, important to uh, PE teach, to uh, classroom teachers. And then, you know, they often think that all you guys do is play. 
boy, I'd sure like to be a PE teacher. Man, we're correcting papers and doing things like that. And all you guys do is roll out the ball and let them play. Well, get them down there and show them what a quality program is and how hard you work and how you're moving and delivering feedback and helping kids develop skills. That'll sell your program faster than anything. Next question, how do you get the regular classroom teachers to not think of you as their break time, but a partner in teaching? You can't. You are their break time. And so accept it. But on the other hand, you know, ask them to help you during your class. If I'm providing a break for you, how about you bringing your class to me in order and picking them up on time in order? So you can ask for different things. Once again, it's working with the classroom teachers. Um, can you have quality PE with 45 minutes of PE a week? No, I answered that one already. No use going back over that one. So let me finish up by a couple of queries related to retired teachers. And if I'm talking to any of you, thank you for being a teacher all that time and, and getting to the point of retiring, that's wonderful. Um, but how can you continue to be involved and, sort and support PE in schools? Oh my gosh, there's a million ways. Let me just give you some ideas. You can mentor teachers. Mentor teachers isn't telling them what to do. It's being there behind them, being somebody to bounce things off of, ask questions, offering advice when they ask for advice. Um, a lot of times other teachers are afraid to have a mentor teacher because they're afraid all they're going to do is tell them to teach like they taught. Well, you know what? If you're a mentor teacher, you may even be out of date a little bit, but you know a lot about kids. And you know a lot about how to handle things. And you know a lot about how schools work. Mentor them. Mentor some teachers. Another thing you can do is hold some professional development workshops in your district. Uh, you know, administrators are always looking for free professional development. Uh, everybody, you know, says if it's free, it's for me. They're always looking for something that's free. So, you know, tell them that you could do a workshop on whatever it is. Um, you know, you can advocate for PE. You can get around and, and talk to administrators and, and talk to parents and volunteer before the Chamber of Commerce about what's going on in PE. They love to have programs that are different. You can tutor or coach in, in a teacher's class. Um, you can work with the community to help students engage in activity outside of school. I mean, one of the, one of the huge failings of PE is we don't teach high school kids how to join a fitness club and how to get into it that should be requisite for every kid that graduates from high school is they know how to go down to a club pick out a club the kind they want that has things they want to do and how do i join it how do i participate in it how do i find the activities that are good for me just think you could get involved in that and start helping some high school kids learn how to join clubs and be an emissary for the clubs. The clubs would probably pay you to get the kids in there. So um, there are lots of things you can do. And I love, you know, retired teachers helping. You have so much information and so much knowledge. Um, that is just great stuff. Well, if you think I'm talked out, you are right. Um, you asked a lot of great questions. Um, I really enjoyed chatting with you. 
Um, you know, we'll do it again one of these days when all your questions come in, but those were really great questions. And I'll say it again at the end. It's your job to take some information and not implement it exactly the way I said or do what I said, but integrate it into your soul, have it come out so it's you and you solve the problem, but you're the only problem solver when you're in front of those kids. It's only you. And if you don't have the courage, and by the way, it takes great courage to be a great teacher because you have to be willing to change behavior for the better. And if you don't, then you've shortchanged society because they're counting on you to integrate these kids into today's society. So thank you all for being teachers. Thank you for everything you do. Talk to you soon. See you in about a month. Bye-bye.